0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. You may be seated. There's a beautiful, illustrative mechanism that's used in Judaism and it's called Midrash. And the way that the Midrash works is the Midrash Filled in the blank. Through parable and through story. So, for example, we know in the Bible that Moses was what we call a real spatial. He wasn't gifted with the gift of speech. The text specifically says he had uncircumcised lips. But there's a Midrash that comes in and tells us the story. The Midrash tells us that it was Moses who reached for coal that burned his hand and he put it on his tongue which burned his tongue and as a result of that he had a stutter you don't know that to be the truth but the Midrash comes in and it gives us a little color as to why things are what they are and the most beautiful thing about the mechanism of a Midrash is that anyone can do it it's not given only to the rabbis you have the right to. You can offer your own nidrashic interpretation. And today, I want to use that license. I want to do that very same thing for Parshaq Noah. I want to give an interpretation, perhaps a different understanding to cause us to think a little more so that perhaps we will just on face value. Just play along with me for a minute in my midrash. You know that God decided But God wasn't happy with the way the world was. God decides I'm going to destroy every thing in the world, every living thing except one set, male and female of all animals, and one family that will continue to reproduce. But what if the choice of God choosing Noah wasn't just based on the idea that Noah was the most righteous person in that time? What if it was done through another mechanism? If it was done, let's say, through a primary system, for an election system, let's say there were ten candidates who said, I wanted to be the one case, and they had a group of primaries and they had the and it was moderated by, I don't know, maybe uh, some generational leader, and they asked them a whole host of questions, and then they narrowed down the primaries to two major candidates, and they have these, these campaign speeches and the campaign speeches are, who's going to weather the storm the best? Noah or Noah's opponent? Who's going to be the best person to carry on the future of humanity? And they have all these promises that they're offering these two candidates. One is saying, I'm going to fix every animal and every living thing on the boat. The other one's saying, every animal, but no dinosaurs. Because we really don't need dinosaurs. We're all afraid of dinosaurs. They scare us very much can't put them on the boat, they're going to eat all the other animals on the boat, and the campaign of who's going to be the most righteous, who's going to have the ability to lead and to save everyone on the boat based on the promises they make, based on their ability to educate, and perhaps even based on the way that they denigrate the other to elevate themselves. And as a result of that, the winner, the winner who receives the most gross is called righteousness, and the implication from that is that every other person has no righteousness, has no goodness within them at all, They're not worthy of survival. If that were a lead that I decided to write, if that were an approach that I decided to take, what condemnation it would be of all humanity at that time but God has the right to condemn all humanity, but do I, do you? could we say that all humanity was not righteous, immoral, unethical, but only one count? or perhaps one won. And in that winning of being chosen and being elected, he was more righteous than the others, But the others had righteousness too. The others had values as well. Obviously, you know where I'm going with this notion of my midrash. And where we find our country today, embroiled in an election which is part of its natural cycle, and it should be a healthy and good thing for every country to be part of the democratic process. But well, frankly, what I've been quite worried about is not the nature taking its course in our democratic process but the way that civility has seemed to lose its place and missing from this democratic process. And allow me to be illustrative of a few ideas that underline this very notion. One of my mentors, colleagues, and friends a rabbi by the name of David Wolpe. He's been voted by Newsweek for the last five years as the number one most influential rabbi in North America. And he writes regularly for the Jewish Week. He's featured on the Today Show, on MSNBC, on all types of other news programs. He's a voice that people turn to when it comes to issues of faith. And he's a leader in the Jewish world. For the Democratic National Convention, he was asked one of the evenings to offer the closing benediction. And you should know that Cardinal Golden, our cardinal in this area, was offered also another night the three nights of the convention to offer closing benediction. as was another leading Christian leader. Rabbi Molte was flattered by this invitation and of course accepted. However, members of his community, his congregation, colleagues and friends, scorned and condemned him. Asked him, How dare he? Endorse a candidate? How dare he stand at the Democratic National Convention and offer a prayer on behalf of Barack Obama? How dare he do this after all the things that have happened that have been poor for Israel? Shame on him. Now we know who you are. Now we know where you stand, Rabbi Wolpe. Rabbi Wolpe so beautifully, so eloquently, and very poised and calmly responded to these people through all the mediums in which they attacked him by saying, I'm not making any criticism. If I were asked by the RNC to make the same invocation just Justice custom Blatton, well, by all means, I would do so. And for me, to celebrate the democratic process, to stand in front of someone who is elected as our president, or who is the nominee to be elected from a different party, is an honor. And something that Jewish people and the American people share in a value. And how dare anyone paint me with a colored brush for offering a prayer to God? Rabbi Nissel Abecer, an Orthodox rabbi, a leading rabbi, also voted in the newly group of top fifty rabbis who have influence in North America, was chosen to lead the invocation as a Republican National Convention, and he also had the same response. I'm not making any endorsement. I'm not making any statement here. I'm trying to say that we celebrate a value of choosing and appreciating and respecting each other and the one thing I can tell you about these rabbis is that Solibatric and Wolfie are learned, they're smart, they're compassionate, they're giving rabbis and they get along famously and I don't know what their political views are and I'll tell you frankly I don't care but how could we take someone with a particular brush of saying they are good or they are bad on where they're choosing to speak or who they are? What gives us the license to denigrate someone in such a way? And known before, my friend and my colleague, Reverend Michael Kugel, who's the author of a very large, successful congregation in Chicago, had an unexpected visitor for Columny Grace Services and they have a protocol at that synagogue about called Ante MFF the exact same protocol that I follow and we have at Temple Emanuel and that protocol is as follows if any government elected official is in attendance in our congregation and we are made aware of it we welcome them from the room and by welcoming them we mean to Barcelona. we'd like to welcome Person X who is a congressperson from such and such district who's worshipping the church today. We've had occasions in this synagogue where Senator Menendez has been here, Congressman Wasserman has been here, Congressman Harris. And in each of those occasions, I have said those very words. And Senator Schlachtenberg. the same thing. Now when you welcome them to our congregation, am I making a political statement? Because what happens to be a Republican, what happens to be a Democrat, and the case of Harris versus Wasserman. Am I saying one matters more than another? or am I just extending what gives a common courtesy and a common denominator? Well, at the synagogue in Chicago at Auntie Emmet, Michelle Boxman, of the Tea Party, was visiting. She was in Chicago, making the rounds as she's running for re-election, and she decided to come to call New Services, where she doesn't have anyone in her constituency. But she came with someone who supported the campaign, had an invitation, was welcome, the valet was made aware of her attendance, and said, just as I did, and I would, in the future, would like to say welcome to Congresswoman Michelle Bachmann who's worshipping us at help call me great churches. A significant portion of the synagogue got up and left. She stormed out and they really attacked the rabbis in all vehicles possible from Twitter and Facebook to emails to statements. Many offered their resignation the next day. I won't pray in a place with a woman that has this belief in it. And how dare our rabbis welcome her and make this mention from the Duma? Shame on him. Rabbis, okay, totally defunded. I'm making a political statement about voting for her. I'm not encouraging any of you to donate to her campaign. I'm not telling you her views on Israel are better than anyone else's views on Israel. But perhaps they need to be text. I'm welcoming an United States Congress person into our synagogue. And how does anyone have the audacity to say I'm leaving or I'm staying based on who we welcome and who we don't welcome? What has come of us in the midst of this election? What has come of us as a people that we have seen this entire country turn into two sides of black and white with no gray, with no appreciation, no understanding? I don't read Facebook very often, but occasionally I get on there to find out whose birthday I'm missing and a few other details of articles I need to uh, catch up on. And there was this post posting I saw on Facebook a few weeks ago that said, I want to see a button on Facebook that can hide someone's political affiliation until after the election so I can remember a friend from now and then. But if someone says something that you don't agree with, you would have a problem saying there's so my friend in the world we live in? The point that pushed me over the edge that really got under my skin in the past week was when I attended Impact Summit. Well, Impact Summit is similar to Impact Policy Conference but much more people it. happens every year for donors of a certain threshold and higher impact and it's in a moving time. You know, sometimes it's in Miami, it's a bit in Missouri, yeah, it's in Arizona, this year it was in Boston and it's a fantastic intimate experience with about twelve to fifteen hundred people and no one does conferences that is an APEC. But as they do every year, and I was there five years ago when that time Senator McCain and Senator Obama were running for the office of president. And two members of the administration at that time spoke five years ago, and this time two members of the candidacies spoke again. A member spoke on behalf of the president, and a member spoke on behalf of Governor Romney. And instead, with both of these people, thinking about what they want to do for the relationship of Israel. It just decided to denigrate the other candidates and made fun of where they stand and said, in vain, in ludicrous comments, one to the other, putting them down. One candidate, was even said, i not going to tell you one, and don't ask me later, that one candidate cares more or less about big boards and Israel. How can that be said about either of these people, or anyone in Congress, in the of one candidate in all of Congress, who consistently votes against Israel? How could such a statement be said? How could that be shared? That the only way to promote your view is by denigrating the other, the only way to claim your right is in claiming your, the other one is wrong. Don't we live in a world where someone can be right and the other person can be right, but we not not share their views? But we are only as right today as the other person seems to be wrong. And that is antithetical to what we believe in in this country. And it's antithetical to Jewish values and beliefs. And the reason why Jews have thrived in this country for so long is because those values are shared. What we believe in in America and the plurality of voices and appreciation and tolerance of each other, even with different opinions, is that cornerstone of what it means to be a Jew. There are two kinds of Jews that establish law for us. We have the House of Hillel and the House of Shammah. And throughout it all, We never disrespect the view of those we don't follow. We follow Hillel more than we follow Shammai. If there was an election, Hillel would have won. Nine out of ten times. But we never denigrate Shammai because we know that Shammai loved God and the Torah. And Hillel never said to Shammai, How could you love God when you think that this is what the law means? You don't love God. You don't love Torah. Could you imagine someone saying that to a rabbi who thinks a particular belief, a particular action, is what God wants from us? Could you imagine someone saying to any of our candidates, We don't really love America. I don't know these candidates, intimately. I don't know them well. But I can tell you, pretty confidently, that they both love America and they both are searching for in the best interests of America. And if we change our common language and a common denominator to say that that is where they stand. But they might have different views, perhaps the dialogue would be so much more civil. But instead, what I'm finding, and it's not limited to the presidential election, but that one obviously is the headliner, is that in so many of the elections happening in Congress, gubernatorial, and even presidential, that we're twisting and pivoting more to denigrating the candidates than we are to promoting a shared idealism. For a spark, one second we saw it at the dinner at the Waldorf on Wednesday after the debate. So there was one second, that wasn't a jab, where we both of them applauded thought of each other for the people that they are, the values that they have, and the families that they leave. Couldn't we all appreciate a little bit more of that? And suffer less than denigrating one or the other? How would it make us feel if we found out that Noah was the candidate who got the build the ark? He got to be saved. He got to be the future of all humanity and all of his progeny was all because he denigrated the opponent who was up to stand to build the ark in his place. That it really wasn't a choice by God. It was a choice by the people. And that person earned the choice not by what Noah said he would do, but rather what he said the other one wouldn't do. That doesn't work. And in a few days, thank God, this election process will be over. And there might be things that worry me one candidate to the other, and neither of them are any so close to perfection. And I will tell you with all of them, and I say this with no hesitation, no reservations, and no fear, with all of them, I'm not worried about where they stand in their love for Israel. I'm not worried about them looking out for what's in Israel's best interest. I'm not going to be up at night if I wake up after the election and we have a new president, or if our president continues. Because of the way that organizations like APAC and like the Congress work to support a strong relationship between these two countries. The Governor of Massachusetts, who was our host at the APAC Summit, had a fantastic line closing. It comes it all into perspective. He said, Right now the state of Massachusetts is trying to do more trade and more work with Israel than any other state in the Union. And if other states do more than us, I'll be happy, and then I'm going to try to keep doing more. And we're doing more with Israel because we believe in the values of Israel, and we believe Israel has innovation to share with us that we can grow from. It's not because we think that no other country is good. Other countries are fantastic, and we will learn from where we can learn. But right now, we believe we have much to gain from the state of Israel. And I know, he said as a Democratic governor, that the current administration believes this and I passionately believe that Governor Romney and his administration believe this also. No differentiation whatsoever between the two on this critical issue. Now you all might have different views on these opinions and that's okay you don't have to listen to mine. I'm not encouraging or projecting my beliefs on yours. What I'm telling you is not to get sucked into that game that our top-down leadership is having us absorbed through a trickle down approach and i'm not referring to the economy when i say that and that is the idea that we are only as good as the other person is bad that we are stronger through the denigration of the other it doesn't work it's not true it doesn't happen if the time came for you to find a new rally at the synagogue and you were looking at two candidates would you say that one loved the synagogue and Jewish people more than others would you say that one was a better Jew than another? Of course not. You might say one is a better fit for this congregation than the other. That could be very true. You could say one is a better chemistry for you and your feeling of half, are rejecting the community. That's what we can't question their love of that which we can't quantify. Because if we did that, that would totally erode to the basic commonalities, the denominators that we share. If we rewrote him to us and we found out that Noah wasn't so by God, that Noah got his role through the denigration of others, we, what could happen. we found that we kind of erode a little bit of our lore. We took away at some of our legends, and we found this in which we thought Noah led by. It's a responsible way for all of us to realize that we can share things in common, and we don't have to hesitate to share what those are. Express them, celebrate them, recognize them. And to say with civility and understanding. Even the person we disagree with, whether it's a congressperson visiting our congregation, whether it's a person running against us for a post that we want to hold, whether it's Hillel against Samai, can still say that there are some common values that are strong and powerful. And while I might disagree with you, I'll never disagree with my right to respect you and appreciate you, and your right to share them. If we can pivot to that, and perhaps we can trickle up an important simple change that's important for all of us to imbibe, to absorb, and to spread out. I pray that as this election series comes to an end very soon, that the stability that seems to be missing in all of its components comes back to us because we need it. And if it doesn't, go to us, the next love has we'll to come over. To us Here's